Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at your word tonight, we pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to see Jesus, help us to meet with him, and help us to accept his salvation for all our lives. Amen. If I said to you tonight, if I came up and quietly sat beside you and whispered to you, how much does God mean to you? What does God actually do for you in your lives with regard to salvation? I wonder what each of us would say if someone said that to me. Well, we're looking at John's Gospel and we're looking at the man Jesus. Just an aside, really, to start off with tonight. Last Wednesday evening, some of you were probably here with me in the meeting place where uh, an Andy Matheson from Oasis, which is a charitable trust, came and spoke to us about working with the poor in India. He had uh, lived for many years in India. He brought his children up there and he'd worked amongst the poor and the disadvantaged. And he was able to share with us how Jesus had changed lives in that area. But he also said to us that it wasn't enough when you work with people like this to preach the gospel at them. That doesn't do a lot of good at all. What you have to do is you have to share in their lives. You have to show them that God is concerned about the total person. That is the spiritual person, but also the physical person and their needs, and the social person. Because the God that we believe in, the God that sent Jesus, is a God of relationships. And he wants to have a relationship with people. And when this happens, he was sharing with us that people flock to the message of Jesus, because their lives are broken. And isn't that the same in our society too? We see time and time again the results of broken relationships. Think of the number of broken relationships that maybe you know of. Maybe it might be because you know of people whose marriages have broken up, or because they've come from broken relationships. Our world needs restored relationships. And this is what we're going to see tonight as we look at John 5. And we will meet the man who has the power to heal. So please turn in your Bibles. We're on page 1068. Now this is the second time I've been preaching in three weeks on uh, John. And uh, we try to imagine what the scene is before us in this passage. We haven't got an awful lot within it, but it's time of a religious feast. And Jesus returns to Jerusalem. We don't know the name of the feast, it's not identified. But we do know the name of the site where this happens. It's near a pool of water called Bethesda which is surrounded by five colonnades or porches. So imagine the scene. We've got an Arab scene, we've got buildings with porches, and in the middle of the porches, we've got this pool of water. And within these porches, 
are seated and laying people who are extremely ill, people who are disabled, people who are waiting for the healing from this waters. Now, no one appears, as I've read the commentaries, to know how the waters actually healed the people. Some manuscripts add a section in here stating that an angel of God stirred up the waters which healed the first person who entered them. Now, as we imagine this scene, we must imagine this must have created a real competition and a real problem as people tried to get their, their ill friends or their ill colleagues into the water first. And so we read in our account tonight that the man complains that there was no one there who could carry him into these waters when they were stirred up. Truly, he was a man in need. But he was also a man who complained a lot. He was a bit of a grumbler. So, as we meet Jesus again through John's writing, we see these following characteristics. And I've got three characteristics of Jesus again tonight. Firstly, we see um, Jesus is a man who identifies and meets people in their total need. Because no one could have been in more need than this man that Jesus meets at the pool. We read that he'd been a physical cripple for 38 years. He states that he has no one to help him, no family or friends to get him into the water which is stirred up. So what would you imagine this man to be like? Well, I imagine him to be a lonely man. There was no mobile phones to call his friends to get them to help him, and so there was no one there for him. A man with few social relationships, no one that he could depend upon. And so we see here that Jesus recognises and picks on this man who is in need. Now, of course, it begs the question, doesn't it? What about all the other people around the pool? Well, we don't know. But as we read this passage, we see that Jesus questions and challenges the security of this man. Because look at verse 6. Jesus asked the man, do you want to be healed? Well, he'd been waiting for 38 years for someone to put him into the stirred waters. So on the surface, and forgive the pun, it appears to be quite a silly question. Because he'd been an invalid for 38 years, probably most of his adult life. So why wouldn't he want to be healed? Well, this was a man with a long-term need. Think about what it must have, how it must have affected him. It would have dominated his life. It would have dominated his actions and it would have held him a prisoner. Now, many of us here, of course, are not prisoners in the sense of having physical needs. But many do have needs that go back through a long time, through our history. They could be physical, but equally they could be social or emotional needs. Perhaps a lack of love from parents that causes us to be hard and causes us to find it difficult to show love to others. We may have been hurt by broken relationships that go back years. We may have been crippled and paralysed by these emotional hurts that have taken place a long time ago. Well, Jesus asked the man, does he want to be healed? And the question for us tonight is, do we want to be healed? from long-term problems, from things that blight our lives. 
Because in this passage, Jesus offers us hope. He shows us in this passage, as well as in the other passage in the gospel, that he has the power and authority to heal those in need. So it's an important question for the man and for us tonight. And so as we look at this crippled man, we need to understand what their situation was in their society at that time. Because cripples and beggars would have earned an income from begging and receiving gifts from people passing by. The man would have got used to this over 38 years. This is what he did. This is what his security rested upon. This is what his identity as a person is wrapped up in. He was an invalid. He would have been known that this was, say, John the, the beggar at the well. This is what he, his security rested upon. However much he disliked this position. And then what happens? Here comes this man who he doesn't know. If you look at verse 13, he says he doesn't know who he is, offering to heal him offering to take him out of the situation that he'd been in for 38 years, offering to take him into the unknown, because the man wouldn't have been able to beg from people if he was made whole and well. He would have lost his source of income. He would have lost who he was as a man, because he would have been known by the name, the cripple who begs at the pool. So Jesus is offering him a whole change of lifestyle and identity. What do you see the implication for all of us here? The security. Do we want to be healed? Do we want to have changes made in our lives? Changes that can can affect our security, taking out of our present security. Are we willing to take chances? Are our friends and colleagues at work willing to follow Jesus wherever he calls us? Because this is the challenge for us today. Jesus challenges lifestyles, and he challenged that man's lifestyle. Now, just to give you a couple of examples about where this might apply to us. Christian young people often pray about getting married and having the correct boyfriend or girlfriend. And it's quite correct, isn't it? It's a good practice. It's a wise thing to do. Many of us who are married have prayed for guidance and wisdom about getting married. Well, if we are to accept Jesus' answer that these prayers demand, we need to answer him in his way and live his way. We need to give up all for our partner. And it's a revolutionary practice. It will mean that there will be good times in our marriages, but there will also be times maybe of not so good times when we have to look after our partners when they're ill, when we have to live with them through different issues. We have to be prepared to give up all for that other person because that is what Jesus calls us to do in Christian marriage, to love the person as well as we love ourselves. I want to give you another example of where Jesus challenges lifestyles. What about the question of careers and jobs, what we do with our lives? Well, Jesus calls us to lose our lives so that his gospel will grow. It's the complete opposite to what the world expects of us. If we are to follow Jesus, if we are to accept what Jesus asks of us, then we need to be prepared to give up all for him. 
And so Jesus asked this man, do you want to be made well? Do you want the changes that I will bring? Well, as we read this account, we see that Jesus meets the man's needs, he heals him physically, but he also heals him socially as he points him towards restoration within his society, and he, uh, he also heals him emotionally. So Jesus has the power and authority to heal people in physical, spiritual, and social needs. But secondly, I think, we see about Jesus at this, in this passage that he, Jesus meets and chooses people who are not particularly deserving. Now, we don't know very much about this man at the well, at the pool here. He appears to be rather a disgruntled man because we read in verse 7 that he complains that there's no one to help him into the water when the time comes. And this, of course, had been going on for many years. We also read in verse 15 that the man shot Jesus to the authorities. But this is the man that Jesus chooses to heal. Not a particularly attractive man. Not one that seems particularly a deserving case. Well, is this not what we see throughout the gospel accounts? The people who are healed by Jesus do not necessarily deserve to be healed. Yes, they're in need, they may be ill or damaged people, but there must have been many others who were also in that situation. But Jesus chooses to to heal this man. And as we read the Gospels, we see that Jesus chooses the outcast, the poor, the young, the less able people. And therefore, this should give us hope, shouldn't it? Because if this is the type of people Jesus chooses to heal, there's got to be room for all of us as well to be healed. This grumpy man in our reading this evening shows us that Jesus chooses to heal him. And Jesus has the power and authority to heal him despite the fact that he's grumpy. So, that's another positive for us tonight. But thirdly, we see about Jesus in our reading, the authority of Jesus, both over the physical natural laws, but also over the spiritual and interpretation of religious laws of the Jews. Look at verses 8 and 9. Jesus gives the man a simple instruction. Get up, pick up your mat and walk. Well, nothing could be easier, could it? But it was the Sabbath. It was the Sabbath. Now, to understand this situation, we need to understand what happened to the Jewish laws given to Moses by God on Mount Sinai. In Exodus 20, verse 8, we read that God gave the law that stated you must not work on the Sabbath it will be a day of rest. Now the religious leaders, that is the Pharisees over the years, had taken these laws of God and they'd interpreted them adding to the restrictions that they imposed upon the people. And so in this account, the Pharisees are stating that Jesus is breaking their interpretation of the law concerning the Sabbath. And this for them was more important than the need of the man. Well, as Jonathan said, Jesus is a revolutionary character. But he quietly overturns this. He shows them that he has the power and authority to do this. And he does this not only by stating what the man should do, 
pick up your mat, get up and walk, but giving the power to the man to do so. His crippled legs became whole. He was able to walk and take up his mat. And so here we have the beginnings of the confrontation between the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the Jewish nation, and Jesus. And Jesus challenges the power and authority of the Pharisees over the people. Now we need to put this into context. These religious leaders held power over the people. They had, they had given the people extra restrictions according to the, controlling their lives. They controlled the way that they could come to their God. And through the time of Jesus' ministry, he challenges these actions time and time again. He challenges their interpretation of God's law. Now, it's important to realise, of course, that Jesus doesn't dismiss God's law or the need to live holy lives. And this is, of course, why he, in the end, of the, in the, end the Pharisees sought to kill him, leading to the crucifixion that we celebrate at Easter time. But here we see that Jesus offers hope to the man. He makes him well despite the law. But it's important that we realise in doing this, Jesus doesn't dismiss the idea of sin and wrongdoing in this action. In fact, he strengthens the idea of responsible moral living by adding, after the event, his instructions to go and sin no more. We see this in verse 14. He instructs the man to sin no more because there will be a moral consequence of his action. But something worse than his physical condition will happen. Of course, here Jesus is alluding to the spiritual condition and the judgment that will follow in eternity. So then, in this passage, Jesus is showing us that he has the power and the understanding of the spiritual situation as well as the physical need of the man. Later, in verses 16 to 19, we see how Jesus identifies himself with the Father God, again giving reasons to the Pharisees to want to kill him because he claimed equal status with God, breaking the first commandment. So there we have it a relatively short extract from John's Gospel tonight. But in this meeting of Jesus with the crippled man at the pool, we've seen the power and authority of Jesus. Jesus identifies the the man's need. He gives him release from his problem. He offers him deliverance from sin. And this, of course, is the hope of Easter. This is what we can take away tonight for ourselves. This is what we can offer to those we meet in need. Jesus offers the hope of salvation, the hope of restoration of the physical and the spiritual body that we have. So then, to conclude, I return to where we started in the meeting place on Wednesday evening, hearing of the need to meet people where they are to treat people as humans and invite them to meet the living Jesus who is concerned about the total aspects of our living, about the physical, spiritual and emotional aspects of our lives. Tonight we have a message of hope. 
Jesus cares about people, and he cares about all their needs. He has the power to meet those needs. He died on the cross to give us the opportunity to be with him, and Jesus can heal all those that have faith in him. So let's finish then with a prayer. Heavenly Father, it's really great that we can come tonight and we can see your healing action of this man at the pool who was crippled both physically, emotionally and spiritually. And we thank you, Father, that tonight Jesus still offers this to each one of us who come to him and ask for repentance and forgiveness. Amen.